calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we are going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the Warning Woods. With a name like Hog, you might have thought Carl and his family were destined to raise livestock. The irony is, the Hogs really had terrible luck with pigs and switched exclusively to beef cattle a few years into ranching. The family owned about a hundred acres out in West Virginia between the Allegheny Mountain Range and the Greenbrier River. Carl and his wife Sasha had purchased the land and raised the barn before Carl Jr. came along. Only Carl Jr. turned out to be a baby girl so she was graciously renamed Clara. Three years later, Clara was followed by Patricia, and after two more years, the real Carl Jr. The Hogs lived a solitary but full life between the mountains and the river. The children did chores early in the morning before starting their studies around midday. More chores awaited them in the evening. They did all of their socializing on Sunday morning at church unless one of their friends wanted to come out to the ranch for a day and kids often did want to come out to the ranch. Carl and Sasha were welcoming hosts who loved to let young townies get their hands dirty. Besides the beef cattle, the family had half a dozen chickens, two goats, and a dairy cow named Petunia. When you added the eggs and dairy they collected from these animals with the variety of vegetables Sasha proficiently grew in their two-acre garden, you could say the hogs lived a self-sustaining life. They even pulled water from a nearby well. Their capacity for total independence is what led the hogs to stay put when the wildfires broke out. The fires started nearly 50 miles south of the hog ranch, but due to an abnormally dry summer, they quickly worked their way up the mountain range. Soon, public officials were ordering an evacuation. If we leave, what will happen to the animals, Daddy? Patricia, now 10 years old, asked Carl as they listened to the radio at the kitchen table. Outside, the sky had turned an ominous, luminescent green from the smoke. 
Well, Trisha, if we leave, their fate will be in God's hands. Oh, that's good. Not if he decides to work in one of his mysterious ways. Carl, Sasha scolded from the kitchen. My apologies, Carl mumbled. He was staring absently out the window, watching clouds wash down the green river in the sky. He wondered if they were real clouds, or plumes of smoke belched out of the burning forest below. But my father taught me, God helps those who help themselves, he said. So what, you're suggesting we take all the animals with us? I mean, we could get three or four cattle in the trailer, probably stuff two or three goats in there too, and hold the chickens on our laps. Do you think we could find a hotel that allows chickens? Despite himself, Carl chuckled. His wife had a way with sarcasm that never left him wanting. How long could we stay before it gets too dangerous? Clara, 13, had asked as she entered the kitchen, her face stone cold like her daddy's. Sasha thought she had detected a crack in her daughter's voice, though. Well, that's what I'm trying to figure out, Carl replied. See, right now the fires are moving north, coming toward us along the mountain range. And if they continue to follow the mountain range... By the time they get all the way up here, they'll be moving away from us, right? But what about the smoke? Isn't that just as dangerous? Sasha asked. It certainly could be. That's going to depend on the wind. And if it does get bad, we can always get out of here then. I don't know, honey. I'm thinking we might want to stay put till we see what this thing does. If we stick around, I can do a controlled burn on the edge of the pasture before the big fires come. Then, even if we do end up leaving later, the cattle might have a fighting chance. I agree with Dad. Clara voted. Me too, chimed Trisha. Carl Jr. came in through the back door with a metal pail in hand. Junior, what in God's name were you doing outside? Sasha demanded. I had to get the eggs. Oh, buddy, please don't go out there by yourself right now. Just wait until me or one of your sisters can go with you. We gotta be safe, okay? Carl Sr. said. Okay, Dad. So are we settled then? Carl asked. I don't want to stay if any of you are uncomfortable with it. I mean, you could all get out of here and leave me to hold down the fort, too. No, Sasha said definitively. If one of us stays, we all stay. All right, then I suppose we're staying. While staying put in the path of a wildfire might sound insane, or, at a minimum, irresponsible, Carl Hogg actually made a wise decision that day. His prediction about the wildfire's path proved to be accurate, the family watched with apprehension as the fires appeared over the nearest ridge. However, the wind shifted from southeast to plain old south and carried the bulk of the smoke away from the ranch. The air quality still wasn't ideal, but it was livable. Two days later, the fires had totally passed. Carl's controlled burn had kept the flames from breaching the pasture and every living creature on the ranch survived. Unfortunately, believe me or not, there are worse ways to die than in a blazing wildfire. On the morning of that second day, Trisha went into the barn to milk Petunia and came running out, screaming, a minute later. Daddy, Daddy, Petunia's dead, she cried as she ran across the yard under the discolored sky. Its pinkish hue darkened the redness of his daughter's cheeks as Carl stepped outside to see what was the matter. Trisha stumbled into his arms and let her legs melt against him. Carl shushed her as he ran his fingers through her hair. What's wrong, Trisha? What's that about Petunia? She's dead, Daddy. Something horrible. Something really, really bad. Oh, poor Petunia. Patricia now melted entirely, and Carl pulled her closer to him. You sure she's not just asleep? He asked, 
knowing his daughter was smart and experienced enough to know the difference between sleeping and deceased animals. He just couldn't understand how Petunia might have died. She was only nine years old, and a well-nourished cow could live up to 15 or even 20 years. She had been perfectly healthy the day before. He had seen so himself. Trisha didn't respond to his question. He carried her inside and set her down on their worn-out couch in the living room. You stay here, all right? I'll go see what's going on with Petunia. Daddy, please be careful, Trisha warned. Carl scratched at his beard and considered asking what she meant, then just decided to tell her he would be and head out to the barn. She was just freaked out, that's all. She hadn't been prepared to look into the face of death today, and frankly, I wouldn't have been either. In front of the barn, Carl noticed the first sign of something wrong. He had always closed the barn himself at night. The enormous X-braced doors on the front were simply too heavy for his daughters or young son to properly secure on their own yet. When Trisha went out in the morning to milk Petunia, she always slid one of the big doors just enough for her to slip between them. But on this morning, both doors had been slid almost completely open. Even if Trisha had deviated from her normal habits, Carl questioned whether she would have been able to move the doors that far on her own. Her little voice came back to him. Daddy, please be careful. He stepped inside. Right away, Carl knew Petunia was not sleeping. He couldn't see her, but he could smell her. He could practically taste her. He had to pull his kerchief over his mouth as he walked toward her stall at the far end of the barn. The flies were buzzing with deafening excitement. He could see their black cloud up ahead, but felt like they were all around him. They made his steel nerves tingle and his weathered skin crawl. He peered into each stall before stepping past it to make sure some wild beast wasn't napping away its lethargy there after gorging itself on a dairy cow buffet. He suddenly wanted the weight and security of his trusty 30-30 in his hands. There was a rusty pitchfork hanging on the far wall next to Petunia's stall. He made note of its location as he crept forward. The stench had formed a wall around the dead cow, practically a physical force preventing him from getting any closer. But he stepped close enough to see her. Petunia's tongue had flopped out of her gaping mouth, which had become a sort of commuter tunnel for fat black flies. The one eye turned upward was blood red and ringed with twitching maggots. Her stomach had been split open and her guts strewn across the floor like spilt spaghetti and fresh tomato sauce. Every inch of gore seemed to shimmer with the chaotic pulse of a billion fresh larvae. A bear? Most likely. What else could have pushed the doors open? Poor Petunia was helpless in here. Dear Lord, thank you for making that animal leave before Trisha came in here to do the milking. Carl went back up to the house to break the news to the rest of the family and warn them about a potential bear lurking around. Once an animal like that figures out where it can get an easy meal, there's no stopping it from coming back. We'll see that bear again before sundown, I'm sure. No one goes out alone or without a gun, all right? The grieving family agreed and then went about their daily chores. Carl got right to the hideous business of removing Petunia's remains. This tired rider would prefer not to describe the grisly details, but suffice it to say the removal involved a tractor, a great big shovel, 
and a hose. In one unfortunate moment, little Carl Jr. happened to be walking across the yard just in time to see his dad carrying a shovel of guts out of the barn. Carl Sr. watched his son pale and thought he was going to pass out, but the boy just turned and ran away. After two hours, all that remained of Petunia was the smell she had left in the barn. Just before sundown, Carl Jr. came running up to his mother as she hung fresh wash up on the line. Mama, there's someone watching you, he said. He didn't sound afraid, only vaguely curious. Sasha raised an eyebrow at him before returning to her task. Well, they must be very bored, she replied while she clipped a pair of tall socks to the line. He has long hair like a lady but a beard like a man, Carl Jr. said, and he's skinny as a skeleton. One of the socks fell on the grass as Sasha turned toward her son. The humor had gone from her face. She had expected him to show her some toad or insect he had found nearby, not describe a creepy man. Where? Where did you see him? She asked. Before he answered, she called out, Carl? Carl, come here, please. Carl emerged from the house wearing fresh clothes. Sasha had Carl Jr. repeat what he had told her. Carl Sr. dropped down to one knee and put his hand on his son's shoulders. Is this real? You're not playing a prank? He asked his son. No, Daddy. Am I in trouble? No, no, but this is very important. Where did you see this person? Can you show me? Carl Jr. pointed at the barn and said, He was standing over there behind the barn. I saw him peeking out like he was playing hide-and-seek. He was watching Mama put up the wash. You sure it wasn't one of your sisters? Carl Sr. asked. Carl Jr. shook his head. Sasha, get my gun. Tell the girls to stay inside. Sasha didn't need to be told twice. She came out less than a minute later with Carl's polished 30 30 and even handed him a fistful of extra bullets. Come inside with me, Junior. Your daddy will make sure we're safe. Does the twisty man want to hurt us? Carl Jr. asked. Twisty man? Yeah, he was all twisty and bent like a big spider or something. Carl Sr. raised an eyebrow at Sasha. She shrugged. Head on inside, Junior. I'll come in in a minute. To her husband, she said. Maybe he saw some kind of animal? He said it had long hair and a beard, so I suppose it could have been a wolf or something. Who knows what the fires might have forced down from the mountains, Carl replied. He also saw me carrying a load of petunia out of the barn, and it looked like it spooked him a bit. This might just be some way of, I don't know, processing all that. Maybe, Sasha said. Be safe. I'm going to keep the kids inside until you check it out. Thank you. Carl kissed his wife on the cheek, cocked his rifle, and headed down to the barn. The sun was still peaking above the mountain range, but Carl guessed he had less than ten minutes to check the area before he would be looking in the dark. With the rifle butt snug in his shoulder, he walked a perimeter around the barn. As he sidestepped his way in a huge circle like the world's slowest line dancer, Carl became uncomfortably aware of the many trees scattered about their property. They cast long shadows across the grass and offered predators too many places to hide. He didn't want to turn his back to the barn since that was where Carl Jr. claimed to have seen the creeper, but he also couldn't help but steal a few glances over his shoulder to make sure some man or beast wasn't creeping up from the trees. As powerful as the gun was, its long, heavy barrel was starting to feel slow and stupid in his arms. How fast would he be able to spin it around if the creature that disemboweled Petunia made a charge at him? And then there was the tall grass to worry about. 
They had let the area behind the barn grow wild and natural. Sasha said it made her feel like they were giving something back to the land they had made their living off of. But now, as he circled behind the barn, the tall grass seemed to be whispering gossip behind his back. He doesn't stand a chance. No, he has no idea what's coming for him. Anything could be hiding within those tangled green waves. Now the barn stood between him and the house. He prayed his wife had remembered to lock all of the doors. Ignoring the grass, Carl hurried around the back of the barn to be able to see the house again. The lower level was all lit up, looking warm and safe. Carl wanted more than anything to run toward that light. He was almost done, almost satisfied there was nothing to worry about. But the chickens. They were normally quiet in their roost when it got dark. So why were they all shrieking? The chicken coop was just a little ways off to the south. Carl knew he had to check it, but then he would go straight back to the house. He wiped his sweaty palms on his jeans one at a time, tightened his grip on the gun, and continued across the yard. As he approached the chicken coop, he pulled the slack from the trigger. If something decided to jump out at him, the old rifle would react before he even noticed. Since he knew the rest of the family were all inside, he felt comfortable with that. The chicken's shrieks were growing quieter, but no less fervent. They were not calming down. They were being silenced. The coop was a fairly large box with a wired pen in front of it. Considering all the noise the chickens were making, Carl had expected to find them all running wild in that pen, but he didn't see a single one. They were all trapped inside the coop. The sun was down now, and his eyes were still adjusting to the moonlight. He squinted at the coop, trying to see if it had been broken into by something. As he stood outside the pen, observing, he heard a crunchy squelch as another chicken's screams were silenced. Hey, he shouted, trying to scare the predator out of the coop. He let the trigger out and pulled it back in, preparing to take the shot. He didn't expect the top of the coop to fly open on its hinges. When it flipped back with a solid wooden thud, a tall, wiry shadow rose from the coop a decapitated chicken in its hand. The rifle went off before Carl even registered the human-like shape of the figure. The gun kicked upward and the figure stumbled backward over the coop, falling to the ground with a guttural shout. Carl sprinted towards the house, leaving whoever he had just shot for dead. He was almost halfway to safety when he slowed, then stopped. The realization that he had just shot another person finally fought its way through his adrenalized haze. Reluctantly, he turned back toward the chicken coop. The remaining three birds had leapt out of the open top and were running laps around the pen. Their continuous cries covered up any other sounds. Carl made sure the gun was ready to fire another shot and crept back towards the coop at an angle. He made a wide semicircle in order to come around the back of it with plenty of distance between himself and whoever he had shot. When the man on the ground came into view... Carl saw with a mixture of relief and regret that he was still alive. He was trying to crawl towards the tall grass. Whoa, whoa, don't move, Carl shouted. He kept the gun trained but returned the slack to the trigger. Stay still, we'll call an ambulance. The man on the ground turned and hissed at him through sparse, jagged teeth. He had a lazy eye that pointed at the ground while his other glared hatefully at Carl. 
Greasy black hair hung around his shoulders and stuck to his matted beard. His cheeks and throat were smeared with blood. Chicken's blood, Carl guessed, and maybe some dried cow's blood, too. The man was naked and Carl could see an exit wound on his left shoulder. Who are you? Where did you come from? Carl demanded. The man just hissed again. Daddy, watch out! Clara's desperate voice carried across the yard from an open window. When Carl turned towards it, he saw another wiry figure coming at him on all fours like a dog. This figure, a woman, rushed towards him with spider-like movements, and the phrase Carl Jr. had used echoed back to him. Twisty. These were twisty people. Still human, but just barely. Stay back, he shouted, swinging the gun towards the twisty woman. A bony but strong hand gripped his ankle and Carl was forced to turn back towards the twisty man. He saw those jagged teeth flash in the moonlight, about to bite into his calf, and fired a shot right through the man's skull. The woman screeched and was all at once on top of him. She wrapped her legs around his waist and pulled his hair back with one hand while wrapping her other arm around his throat and squeezing. Carl was forced to drop the gun in order to get his hands under her forearm and steal a breath. She brought him down to the ground and let go of his hair. She used her newly freed hand to yank harder on the arm that was choking him, threatening to crush his throat. She was growling like an animal the whole time. Carl felt a growing sense that she was going to bite him, take a chunk right out of his neck or shoulder. He was surprised she hadn't done so already. He struggled against her arms, but her grip was too tight. She was shockingly strong for her tiny frame. Fortunately, she was also very light. Carl managed to roll onto his knees, then stand and throw himself back onto the ground, landing on top of her. Bones audibly cracked beneath him and the woman's growls turned to pained gasping. Her grip fell away and Carl got off of her. He was about to retrieve his gun when he saw two more twisty people silhouetted in the moonlight. Their long shadows loomed towards him as they ran in his direction. Behind him, the woman was starting to recover, although her coughs were deep and wet. Ditching the gun, Carl went for the house instead. He would get safe. He would call for help. He would... A body slammed into him and knocked him to the ground once more. All at once, he was under a pile of twisty limbs and sharp, flashing teeth. They were pummeling him, clawing at him, biting him. He tried to kick and punch his way out, but for every blow he delivered, they delivered four to him. Claw-like nails scratched his cheek just below the eye while teeth burrowed into the flesh just below his collarbone. A fist or knee bludgeoned his stomach while another slammed him between the legs. Despite the pain, Carl managed to get his hands around one of their throats and squeeze. This temporarily stopped the beating as both of the twisties grabbed his arms and tried to pull them away. Carl! Sasha shouted from the house. Fear and anguish saturated her voice. Not me. Protect the kids. Just keep them safe, Carl thought. He couldn't speak, only grunt as he tried to crush the throat of his assailant. Suddenly the moon was blocked out, and Carl was forced to look past the twisty man struggling in his grip. The woman had appeared again, and she was holding a rock the size of a baseball above her head. She half jumped, half fell on top of him. Carl didn't even feel this final blow. Sasha cried out. As the three hideous, bloodied faces turned from her husband's still body to her, she fell back through the door and locked it. Everybody upstairs, she shouted. 
the kids all turned and ran. There's the truck, she thought. Could we all get to it before they caught us? I can't just leave Carl out there. He might be dead, but no. No, he's not dead. He can't be dead. Sasha's mind was still racing as she heard a mess of footsteps come up to the back door. The knob began to rattle, and she involuntarily screamed. There were the knives in the kitchen. The thirty-eight in Carl's sock drawer. Was it loaded? Maybe. What if it wasn't? Clara had already called 911, but it could still be 15 minutes before anyone was able to make it out there. One of the drawbacks to living independently meant you also had to rely on yourself in emergencies. The twisty people were pounding on the door and hitting the outer knob with something heavy. Sasha heard a small creak and knew the wood was starting to give. There was nothing she could do to stop their inevitable intrusion. She went for the stairs, planning to run for the hidden 38. Glass shattered somewhere upstairs. Sasha heard her children's screams before the shards even stopped tinkling on the floor. Almost simultaneously, the kitchen door broke open and slammed brutishly against the counter. Feet pounded the wood floors upstairs and down. The last thing Sasha saw was a pair of wild, unfocused eyes bearing down upon her. The following is an excerpt from a police report written by the first responding officer at the scene of the Hogg murders. When I arrived at the Hogg Ranch, the house was dark and quiet. I received no answer when I knocked or rang the doorbell. Upon further observation of the home's condition, I noted a broken window on the second floor. It appeared to me an intruder might have used the awning to reach the window and get inside. Since there were no sounds coming from inside the house, I chose to search the perimeter while I waited for backup. Around the back of the house, I noticed the kitchen door had been broken in. At the same time, I saw what appeared to be two bodies laying near a chicken coop. I found the bodies of who we now know to be Carl Hogg and one of the unidentified assailants there. Neither of them showed any signs of life. I took control of a rifle laying next to them and returned to the house. When I shone my flashlight through the broken kitchen door, I saw a third body. This one appeared to belong to a female. She was laying unresponsive at the base of a staircase. I radioed to confirm backup was nearby and told them to come back to the kitchen door. I then proceeded into the house to check on the unresponsive female. After checking vitals and assessing wounds which included a bite to the throat, a laceration of the forehead, and various deep scratches on the face and forearms, I determined the female, later identified as Sasha Hogg, was deceased. By this time, Sergeant Howard had arrived on scene and joined me in the kitchen. We cleared the ground floor together and proceeded upstairs. The children's bedrooms and upstairs bathroom were all clear. In the master bedroom we found, if I may speak freely, the most upsetting crime scene I've come across in over a decade of police work. Redacted. There was a body in the doorway belonging to an adult female. She had an exit wound on the back of her head. Sergeant Howard and I followed protocol and checked her vitals but found none. The unidentified female had been shot through the eye. Based on the blood splatter on the open bedroom door, we assumed she had been shot there and died instantly. The bodies of Carla Hogg, Patricia Hogg, and Carl Hogg Jr. had all been left on the bed. A 38 caliber revolver was still in Carla Hogg's hand. A single bullet was missing from the gun. 
the little hero got one perfect shot off before she met her horrible death. If only she had gotten off a few more. Redacted. Sergeant Howard and I photographed the crime scene. Photos of the children's bodies are attached to this report. Please review them for the details I cannot bring myself to describe on paper. We believe, based on the two unidentified bodies found at the scene and the number of injuries on the Hogg family's bodies, that at least four assailants attacked them that night. Also, based on the two bodies discovered at the scene, we believe the assailants were unregistered people who had been living a subsistence life in the mountains. Their various deformities implied decades of inbreeding. It is likely that the wildfires forced this group down from the mountain, where they discovered food and shelter on the Hog Ranch. We do not know if they displayed outright hostility upon arrival, or if they responded to hostility shown to them. Suggest alerting the public to possible danger and advising people to stay away from odd-looking strangers. Redacted. We do not know where the two surviving assailants fled to, or if there are more of these dangerous people out there. Redacted. You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash thewarningwoods. If you want more creepy content, including the images that accompany each story, follow me on Instagram at thewarningwoods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into the warning woods. Thank you for listening. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.